I'm in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13. I'm reading through verse number 16. Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for those for shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There was a magazine a few years ago that had depicted a group of four photographs. And in the first photograph, you saw this, you saw this wheat field out in Kansas and just, just wheat that is growing as far as you can see. In the second photo, we see it's shown this kind of this distressed mother and, and she's living in, in the farmhouse for this wheat field and she's sitting at the kitchen table just realizing that she, that she has lost her son. Her small son has somehow wandered into that wheat field. The crops from that wheat field right now, they're too tall for the young toddler to be able to see over. He could be anywhere. And after the mother had spent some time looking around for, for her child with no luck, she, she summons the boy's father to come and to help look. And so they start looking and they can't, they can't find him. And then we come to this third photograph in this series. And it shows the neighbors who are coming over and, and the parents who are there and they're gathering the very next morning and they're creating this human chain. They're all holding hands and they're walking now through the wheat field and, and it just seems to be like miles, step over step, just, just going as far as they can. And somewhere along this chain, there is a mother who whose hands are trembling, and there is a, a father who keeps calling out the name of his son, just calling his name out into the wheat field. And then we come to this final fourth photograph. And this is a very devastating picture. And it's a photo of a father who is down on his knees in the middle of a wheat field holding on to the lifeless body of his son. This toddler had been lost out in the wheat field. The wheat was too high. He couldn't find his way home and he fell victim to the crisp midnight air. And underneath this photo of this weeping father, there are the words, oh God, if we had only joined hands sooner. There's a tremendous value in coming together as a church and standing strong in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's a tremendous value in coming together. This morning I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We are going to be in the first chapter this morning. 
as we are looking at the famous Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at a very specific portion of this message, this message that Jesus is preaching here. And to fully understand what we're studying this morning, we need to understand who it is who Jesus is speaking with. First, let it be very clear that Jesus is speaking to people who believe in him, people who follow him. He is teaching followers. I would say this morning Jesus is still teaching followers, amen? amen. Every lesson from this pulpit is brought with the intention of connecting us to the original audience. What did the original audience hear from the author of this book or from the speaker? And then seeing what that means and what exactly it takes, what, how it affects our life, how, how it transfers 2,000 years later to mean something to us. And today we're going to look at this lesson that on the surface we've probably all read numerous times, but we need to dive in and find a, a small amount of explanation because there are some massive cultural differences that if we don't understand them, this isn't going to make sense to us. I'm going to read you Matthew chapter 5. I'm starting in verse number 13. Jesus starts our lesson this morning with this. He simply says this, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. Jesus is going to talk about you and I being salt. And that might seem strange to think that we are just this little piece of white thing that comes out of a porcelain cat salt shaker, right? The, the, the analogy just does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But what Jesus is doing, he is teaching something that makes a whole lot of sense to his original audience. To us, lost, not much sense. To them, absolutely, they get it. They know what he is talking about. Let me tell you what he's talking about. Before the refrigerator, can anyone in this room remember a time that you did not have a refrigerator in your house? Okay, so we're all used to a refrigerator. Before the refrigerator, food was preserved by using salt. We put items in our refrigerator and, and what happens, this is why we put them in our refrigerator. We put it in there because the cool of the refrigerator, it slows down the process of decay. It extends the life of the substance that we put into the refrigerator. In those days, you would cover fresh meat with salt, with a lot of salt, and that would preserve that meat for an extended period of time. What Jesus is speaking about and what he is telling his followers and he's telling them that they are salt, that is a, there's a presupposition, there is a knowledge going into this lesson that there is something that needs to be preserved from rot. And they are the salt. How does that all make any sense? Jesus wants to, and I'll tell you why, why that makes sense. Jesus wants to pack this world with salt, which happens to be his followers, happens to be you and me for the sole purpose of preserving the world from ungodly deterioration. 
He wants us as salt to pack in and preserve this world from rot. There's a lot of rot going on in our world today, amen? We see that everywhere. It is everywhere. Here's the first point in your notes this morning. For those of you taking notes or joining us for the first time, you'll find on the back of your bulletin, there's some fill in the blanks. I'm going to give those to you. They're going to be up on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes is this. The Christian life is designed to prevent decay in the lives of those around us. The Christian life is designed to prevent decay in the lives of those around us. In the ancient world, salt would be used as medicine. Salt would be used to be put on wounds. Salt would be used as a gift at times. The, the ancient Greeks, they used salt, they, they referred to salt as a very divine substance. And the Romans, actually would pay people with it. They called it salarium. That's where we get our English word salary. Whether salt was used in a medical form or if it was used to, to preserve food or if it was used as a unit of trade, it was always, always used to prevent decay. If you packed meat with it, it's going to keep the meat longer, preventing decay. Salt, if salt was your salary, if that's what you got, that is there to prevent financial decay in your household. Salt, does, does it works wonders, and then they used it a lot. You gotta remember that Jesus is talking to believers. Now, what we would call Christians, and he's telling them, you, are the salt and the light of the world. And he's telling us here today, you and me, that we are the salt and the light of the world. We are here to prevent decay. That's our job. I'm in Matthew chapter five, verse number 13. Jesus goes on and he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking you're going spiritual right now and you're thinking of yourself as salt. We'll get to the, that in a minute. But let me, let me ask you, if you just, you go home and you take some salt and, you know, you put it in water and now you've got salt water. I'm, I'm just wondering, is there a time when you can take the saltiness out of salt, but you can't return the saltiness to the salt, right? It's good for a time, but if it's used incorrectly, it's going to lose its saltiness. Salt was made to preserve something. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if salt loses its flavor? What good is it if we lose our saltiness? What good are we? Well, if we're not salty, maybe we can't preserve anything anymore. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that you're losing your salvation through this, through this message. That's not what I'm talking about. What he's saying is salt is a preserver of life. What, what good are we if we don't actually preserve life through our saltiness, through what we know, through our connection with Christ? 
What good are we if we are not preserving life? Salt is salty and effective until salt is not salty anymore and then it is totally ineffective. I wonder if that has ever happened with Christians before. That sometimes we're on fire for the Lord and we are so passionate, but then we lose our passion and those around us notice it what does our passion have then? It might have total ineffectiveness. I wanted to put that in our world and see what Jesus is talking about. At your workplace, you might be the salt of the earth. There might be people who know what you're doing right now that you're here at church. There might be people who you've invited to Bible study on Thursday nights. There might be people that see that cross on your desk or they see you taking your break and reading your Bible in the break room and you have been able to somewhat minister to them. But what happens when you fall away? What happens when, when the world that you left grabs you back and pulls you back in? Let me ask you if, you, if you fall back into that sinful lifestyle that you used to participate in, what good is that now for your people at work that saw you as a passionate Christian? Point number two in your notes is this. Our Christian influence is diminished if we slip away from God's plan for our lives. Think about that. Our Christian influence is diminished. I don't know any Christian who prays for their influence to be diminished. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. It's not something we want. It's something that happens when we fall away, when we're not staying strong in our faith, when we are not giving the, we're not giving into the world saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm tired, I can't. We're not giving into the world saying, I've got company. We're not giving into the world. No, when we are there, we can be an influence to others. There's so many, there's so many avenues in our life that wants to take us away, but if we start, maybe we used to go out with our coworkers, right? We used to go hang out Friday night, and you know, we'd, we'd have a few with them. And then they notice there's something different about him. Yeah, he found Jesus, there is something different. Let's face it, you've got a little bit of an influence on them now until you show up on Friday night and now we're back just kicking them back with the guys again, right? We lose our influence when we start slipping away. And wow, it was hard enough, trust me on this, it was hard enough building your influence in the first place. That was hard enough, right? Now you've got to try and build that again. Let me ask you this. What do you think happens when our salt loses its flavor? Can you ever make us passionate and salty again? Maybe, but it's not easy. And it's certainly not easy to go back to those same people you were influencing and say, you know what, yeah, I know I came and hung out with you on Friday and I shouldn't have done that. And yeah, I'm still a Christian, even though I didn't act like it, but I am and I want you to come back. Now you've got to influence them again, but you've got to overcome your own shortfallings. You've got to overcome the fact that you fell, right? 
And let's face it, we don't fall on accident. We fall because we weren't looking where we were walking. That's why we fell. Getting back on track, getting back on track, sometimes it's harder than getting on the track on the, first, the very first time. You think, if we ruin our influence, we may be ruining our ability, let's see, to preserve, we are salt, right? We might be losing our ability to preserve the status of God in somebody else's eyes when we lose our influence. They're not looking, they're not going to look at us as salty for the Lord anymore if we have started to do the things that we used to do and we fall back into those sinful lifestyles. This world absolutely will welcome you back with open arms. It's waiting for you. As a matter of fact, it is working so hard to pull you back into where you just came out of. But for the Christians, the question is this. What happens to your salt? What happened to your ability to preserve? What happened to your ability to be medicine? What happens to your ability if your heart message is so valuable on this earth that people will trade, they will trade precious stones for the message that you have in your heart? The word of God that you have there, but now your passion is gone because the world took it back. What happens when all the value that you've been taught and trained through your Christian walk, and you're supposed to, to train others with that, but you slip back, now it's worthless, and the Bible says trampled under your feet. You, you, can, go and get, you can go and get more salt and recharge your spiritual batteries, and you can come back to minister to people, yes, but what about those people that you failed to witness to and those people who see absolutely no value in your testimony anymore. Think about this. As hard as it was for us to come to Christ, it's that much difficult or more bringing somebody else into Christ. We are an influence. We're asking them, come, come, come. Let me show you what God has done to me. And you know what they're thinking? They're saying, I see what God has done to you. He changed your life for a little bit, but then he, I, I, I saw what you just did. You did what you used to do. Why do I want to follow you? Why do I want to follow Jesus? All he did, you just hopped on a bandwagon for two or three months, and now you're back to doing the same exact thing that you did. Our influence is diminished when we step away from Christ, when our saltiness loses its flavor, when our passion for Christ is diminished. When we fall back, people notice. And that's going to stick out in their head. How hard is it to bring somebody to Christ who sees people of Christ fall back into the world. They're watching your whole story. This is a lesson that Jesus is telling us not only who we are, 
But he's telling us what our responsibility to the world is. Come back with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm in verse number 14. Jesus adds to our responsibility with these words. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus tells his disciples that they are the light of the world, presupposing that there is darkness. Why do you need light if there is no darkness? He says, you're the light of the world because the world is dark. He is not telling them that they are the savior of the world. That is the son, the, the, the job of the son of God. He's not telling them that they are the managers of all things. That is the job of God the father. He's not telling them that they are the comforters of the world. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. He is only telling them that they are light. And he's only telling you and I that we are light. I want you to write this down this morning. This is so important. This is the third point in your notes. The Christian life penetrates darkness and shows opportunities for others to see Jesus. The Christian life penetrates darkness and shines opportunities for others to see Jesus. Amen. Psalms chapter 109 119 rather, verse number 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Some people have that memorized as their life verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. If you and I are the light of the world and if the word of God is a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path, then we are to be lamps and lights to the feet of other people. God and his word is the lamp and light in front of us. And God works through his people. That's what he does, right? How are other people going to know what Psalm 119.105 says if we don't tell them? We are light, we are told. That is our job now. Do you know why you are the light of the world? You know why? So that you could light the path to Jesus for other people. That's the reason why. You are the light. Christians are needed to be the light to lead others to Jesus. We are, we are the flashlight, but we're not the source. We are the rays, but we are not the sun. We are the brightness, but we are not the cause. We are the examples, but we are not the savior. We are the light at the end of the tunnel that leads others to the safe arms of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's our job. And do you know what our job is when we bring people out of the lost, out of the darkness, we bring a soul and we hand them to Jesus. You know what our job is then? It's to go back into the darkness. It's to shine our light and bring the next lost soul. Amen. That's our job. Look what Jesus says about light in Matthew 5. I'm in verse number 14. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, 
a lamp is placed on a stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. Just like the saltiness, there's a warning that comes from within this lesson of light. There's this warning from Christ. And this is the warning, and this is so important. This is the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. If we keep our life, our light of Jesus private, then somebody may never know their Savior. If we keep our light of Jesus private, then someone may never know their Savior. Let me tell you an astonishing science fact. I think we're all kind of astonished when we hear this for the very first time. Darkness does not exist. Scientifically, there is no such thing as darkness. Darkness, scientifically, is simply an absence of light. There is no darkness. All there is are areas where there is no light. You can't walk into a room and shine a flash dark into a light room and expect the darkness now to overtake a light room. We can't do that. But we can walk into a dark room and use a flashlight to make a dark room bright and light again. Amen? That's our job. That's our job. It's quite the same. You can't walk into a room where Jesus lives and flash darkness into that room where Jesus lives and extinguish the love of Jesus. You can't do that. But you can walk in to a very, very dark room with no light, bring the light of Jesus Christ and shine his love and brighten the room against every single soul that is living in that darkness. And that's our job. I want you to realize the most important point in this lesson that Jesus says is you are the light of the world. He didn't say somebody else is the light of the world. No, he said you are the light of the world. We are... We're not a faith built on somebody else. We are a faith that is built on send me, choose me, I will go, it's my job, I am the light, I will tell others. That's what our faith is built on. When Jesus said that you and I are the light of the world, there was a presupposition that he was making. He told us that because he knows that you and I our light in a world full of darkness, and he sent us to be his light in a dark world. The reason that this church is a light of the world is because this church is living in a world of darkness. I wonder if you could see darkness all around you in your world. Sometimes, even when we walk out our front door, sometimes when we, we get back into our routine, we get in the car, we turn on the radio, it's that, you know, we grew up with this stuff. I like this. You know, I, 
I wonder if that's darkness right there. I wonder if we are driving down the street and billboards are just full of darkness. You are a light and you are salt. This world will not save itself. It's tried. Trust me, this world will not save itself. You can go back way before the time of Christ. You go way, way back. God brought a flood and started over because this world could not save itself. It's not going to do that. This world will, by its own pleasure, walk further and further and further away from the source of our light if we don't stop it. Now you say, we're small. I mean, what do we have? 12 people in here this morning, something like that. We can't stop it in the entire world, but we can stop it in our world, in our home, in our life. We can stop it from coming into our ears and trying to fight for our soul. We can stop it from coming in and wanting to take our saltiness away. We can stop it from trying to get into our hearts and shut off that light. Sometimes we have to start stopping things right here. Then we can help others. It is not somebody else's job. If you've been with me for a while, you know going back to, whew, we can go back online, we can go back to Clearwater, we can go back to the Senior Center, we can go back to the coffee shop the very first time. You've heard me say this, we are not a somebody else church. We're not. And even right now, look around. I said this a minute ago, 12. There's a lot of ministries at this church that need it. We can't, allow, we can't rely on somebody else. We can't rely on somebody else to be the salt and light to those people at work who are living in darkness. That's our job. There might not be somebody else. We are somebody else. It's our job. A church on a hill also needs to be a light on a hill. In Paris, this church, this church still has some flicker and is lighting up even corners right now of our city. We are not able to be hidden, amen? amen. It doesn't matter. If the government wants to shut us down for something, it doesn't matter if COVID wants to shut us down for something. It doesn't matter if there are people protesting out against churches for our beliefs, not our beliefs for the fact that we follow God's word. We didn't make this up. This is God's instruction to us. Protest all you want. You cannot shut us down. The question is, what happens if the fire is doused? What happens if the flashlight is turned off? What happens if someone puts a bowl over us as a candle? What happens if we lose our flavor, our saltiness? What happens if no one else ever can see us as someone who is preserving rot? 
That's our job. But what if we lose that? What happens is that all of us are sitting in our individual homes then, in the middle of that wheat field, and we recognize that somebody who we love is lost in that field and can't find their way out. And by ourselves, we run into the field looking for them and, and trying to save them. And maybe it takes a day to gather help, to gather church people around, or maybe it's a month or a couple of years to get people or believers together to walk hand in hand in this cornfield of our world together. But I wonder sometimes if we're coming together to walk together a little too late. It can easily happen when we get our neighbors to form that chain, that chain of hands in time that we go out and we find somebody who we love. We actually came together and we find that somebody that we love that has been on their knees crying for a family to hold hands together and come and find them and save them and be the light and breathe the salt. That's what we do as a family. We take each other's hands, we walk into the wheat field, and we find our lost brothers and sisters, and we bring them back to Christ. Since 2018, this church began, when we began Sunday morning services, I want you to know that through doors of our church, people have walked through those doors nearly 5,000 times since 2018. We have had about 20 baptisms in that time. We have, had, we have had many people who have accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and we know for sure that we are going to spend eternity with them in heaven with our Lord and Savior. And, and we've got new brothers and sisters, and we've personally knocked on mm, five to 8,000 doors in our community. And we've provided We've provided school supplies and backpacks for children in our community who are less fortunate. We've been able to share our personal experiences of, of our, the growth of our Christian faith around the table at, at Lagar as we had Bible study there on Thursday night with just people, random people who were showing up. We have seen our brothers and sisters grow deeper in Christ. We've been able to financially support missionaries overseas for years so that they could take the message of Jesus and spread it into their community. We were able to purchase a vehicle that helps our ministry, a trailer that helps our ministry. And even more importantly, it's allowing us to transport people back and forth to church. We've been able to grow and provide coats for the homeless. And, and we've had a benevolence ministry that has helped people in our church that we have helped out of a very hard time. But ladies and gentlemen, this church is salt and light if it is salty and the light is on. But one piece of salt, one little piece of salt doesn't do a whole lot to prevent decay. It takes more than one little piece. It takes many, many, many light bulbs to reach into an entire world of darkness. I'm going to ask David to come up and play this morning. And while he's getting ready and while he's 
while he's playing, I'm going to ask you this morning for your prayers. And I'm not going to ask you today to make a comfortable decision. I'm going to ask you this morning to make a God-sized decision. I'm going to ask you today if you would simply stand up and stand up under the banner of this church and say, send me. A God-sized decision that says, I will do it. A God-sized decision that says, I do not belong to a somebody else church. I'm going to ask for every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And I'm going to ask you to pray on this decision. That if the Lord leads you just to put up your hand and say, yes, I will step up. Because this, this church is salt. But one piece of salt needs more salt. We're not a somebody else church. If that's you this morning and you can make that commitment and say, I am in. I just want you to put your hand up right now. Just saying you can count on me. I'm going to be there. Thank you. Thank you over here. Thank you so much. Thank you in the back. We can't do this alone, church. Look at this blessing that the Lord has put in our path, this room. And now look around the room. You're praying right now, so don't look. Look in a minute. But I want you to look around and see these empty seats. You are the salt. You are the light. We are not a somebody else church. Jesus didn't say somebody else is the salt. He didn't say get comfortable in the pew. Somebody else is the light. He said you are the salt. You are the light. It is you. It is not somebody else. Because, listen, at Paris Valley Church, there is nobody else. There's nobody else. And Jesus didn't ask for anyone else. He asked his followers. He asked his disciples. He asked his believers. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you will step up and answer this call, will you put your hand in the air right now? Will you put your hand in the air and say, I am in. I am all in. Church, church, we are all in. Amen? We are all in. Let's pray.